Welcome to the IAB UK podcast. Hello and welcome to the IAB UK podcast. From the IAB, I'm James Chandler and this episode is the second in our Founders series where I get to talk to the founders themselves about what inspired them to go it alone, how their business has fared against the backdrop of a global pandemic and how true they remain to the vision they had in those heady initial weeks and months. This week, it's the turn of Quantcast's co-founder and CEO, Conrad Feldman. For the uninitiated, Quantcast is a technology company that specialises in AI-driven real-time advertising, audience insights and measurement. You might have seen Conrad in the flesh some years ago at the IAB's Leadership Summit or witnessed the equally impressive Dr. Peter Day, Quantcast's Chief Technology Officer at our Engage conference two years ago. Conrad and I chat measurement, homeschooling and the advice he'd give his younger self and you get a real insight into why he's so passionate about defending a free and open internet. But we started by talking about Quantcast's annual Supernova conference and how it was reimagined for 2020 as the aptly named Virtual Nova. For me it was great. <laughs> uh, you know, I got an op- I got an opportunity to speak with over the course of three of these virtual events in less than 24 hours, I got mm-hmm. a chance to, to speak with you know, 20 of our customers about the challenges and, and experts in the industry on the challenges that sort of they're facing and how they're, you know, how they're tackling issues to do with the, you know, the, the loss of third party cookies and what mm-hmm. that means for their, for their business. Uh, and it was, it, was ex- it was excellent. I think it was an enormous amount of work for our marketing team to coordinate all of this. But I yeah. think you know, now, we're, now we're a year in to sort of the impact of COVID on yeah. everything. And I think that you know, people are getting the hang of how to do these things, how to do these things remotely and how to, how to you know, make the best of the situation. I think the, uh, you know, your ability to do these sorts of podcasts, podcasts and yeah, connect with yeah, people yeah. all around the world, I think is a great example of that. Totally. Do you think it will go back to Supernova being a, f- a physical thing or will it be some sort of, I mean, lots of people are talking about digital twins and hybrid events. Now we've proved we can do it. Do we need to travel all the way around the world to, to go to some of these conferences? I think it will be um, hybrid. Mm. I mean, that's certainly how that's certainly how we're thinking about it, and I, we've, we're keen to we're keen to have an in-person event. Yeah, I think we've got to recognise that whilst all of the progress now with vaccination and even treatments mm. is really encouraging, it's going to be it's going to be some time until it is uh, safe and acceptable for everyone yeah. to attend these to attend these events, and maybe people don't have to travel quite as much. Look, let's get into a bit more on on Quantcast. Computer scientist guy turns up in in advertising and is doing these amazing things in in AI. Take us back to to where it all started and where you started and and how on earth you got into this ad world. Yeah, so uh, I started my career uh, as a researcher in AI at uh, at UCL University College London. Mm. So I actually I did uh, I went to UCL for my undergrad in computer science and then uh, I entered the PhD program there and got a job as a, as a researcher mm. and I was working um, I was working on a on a on an area called neural networks and this is the it's actually conceptually it's been around for for decades and it's the concept that there is there is something about the way our brain is organized you know, our brain is made up of 
of, of billions of these very small, simple processing units called neurons that are all interconnected. Mm. And somehow from, from having a large number of these interconnected but very simple processing units, you know, all of human intelligence emerges. And so the idea of the idea was is that was it possible to have artificial uh, neurons and somehow replicate replicate that? And this is something that had been studied, you know, conceptually since the since the nineteen forties. And uh, you know, as computer power increased, it was possible to sort of simulate more sophisticated mm. artificial brains, if you like. Yeah. And uh, you know, fast forward to today, so many of the breakthroughs that we associate with AI, computer vision, as a as a, as a great example, are based on these neural networks. Now they are immensely more powerful <laughs> yeah. than when I started doing my research yeah. because computers are immensely more powerful. The software has developed further, mm. and also. These, these systems, these machine learning systems learn from data mm. and there is a lot more data available and the power of computers, sensors, but also the, 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 the power of the internet to enable people to share information yeah. has also helped with the so-called training data sets. So, you know, I was doing research then on, um, on AI and I was, doing, I was doing consulting work, helping businesses make sense of the data. Yeah. That they captured. You know, this is in the um, sort of the, I guess, go mid the mid nineties. So businesses were capturing more data, and they wanted to make sense of it. And so, along with some uh, some colleagues at UCL, we started doing consulting work for folks. And you know, that consulting business grew into a software business called SearchSpace. And primarily, we built systems to help um, to help banks, financial services institutions, ah. understand customer activity so that they could systematically identify problems. And uh, these were, you know, as, as, as banking became more electronic, it became harder for banks to actually know who their customers were. Right, yeah. And certain aspects of the financial services industry require that you understand what's going on because you have to, you have to identify uh, bad activity, things yeah. such as money laundering hmm. or the financing of, terror, of terrorism. And that's harder. You know, if someone walks into a bank branch and they've got a paper bag stuffed full of used notes, well, the bank teller's like, hey, that's a little bit odd. But when everything's electronic, yeah, yeah. it's harder to replicate that. And when we sort of forget that, obviously, if you take the bank teller example, their primary purpose is to provide service to customers. But they automatically mm. assimilate context about the business and what's usual or what's unusual. And so they know, they just see that doesn't fit, that's unusual. It doesn't yeah, mean something's yeah. wrong, but it means that maybe we should look into it deeper. But what happens when business becomes electronic, when people aren't involved in every step of the process, you're actually losing a lot of institutional context. Ah. So what we were doing was developing, developing machines that could understand behavior, develop uh, an appreciation for the norms of activity and be able to systematically identify challenges. Now, fast forward, it's a similar challenge as, as e-commerce continues to yeah, rise. Yeah, yeah. Um, you don't have people servicing customers. If you walk, if you were to walk into a, a clothing store, someone would be, "Hey, how can I help you? What sort of thing you're interested in?" What happens yeah. as, as this becomes increasingly electronic? So, what are the ways in which we can we can use machines to understand behavior and be able to sort of respond? with some of the flexibility, even some of the ingenuity mm. of human decision makers. And that's, that's what my career has been focused on. And so I actually moved to the US with SearchSpace in um, 90, it was in ni 99. Wow. 
and um, and actually it was in '99 that I was sort of first first got some exposure to to the internet industry. Obviously, I'd been using the I'd been using the internet pretty extensively. Yeah. But in terms of the business of the internet, I was spending quite a bit of time in San Francisco because we had we had customers uh, we had customers there. And who, who know, were the big friends. companies in in '99 in sort of Silicon Silicon Valley? Well, very you know, early actually, on. so there was there was all these companies that you sort of you sort of forget now. But actually, the company that that I first did work with, and which really got me interested in sort of the business of the internet, was uh, was Alta Vista. Alta Vista, yes. So I don't know. I don't know if you remember them, but yeah. they were the largest. They were the largest search engine in yeah, the world at the time, yeah, yeah. and and of course, of course, there were lots of search engines then, which you know, which names we may not even remember now. There was Fast and Ask Jeeves, and Dogpile, Ask Jeeves, yes. Dogpile. There you go, right? <laughs> there was all of there was all of these, and there was a and there was a teeny company, a teeny company called Google. Oh yes, at the at the at the time. Yeah. But what what really stuck with me was um, was uh, was the ability to to sort of more systematically understand the world mm. through through internet data. You know, my, my career has always been based on on understanding how businesses operate and the dynamics within a business based on the data they generate. And internet data wasn't just about the it wasn't just about that business. It was about it was a view into the world. And that was really interesting to me. And it just stuck with me and and you know years later um Searchbase, which was the company I'd started with colleagues in the UK, mm. uh, that was acquired in 2006 by a private equity company. And, you know, I decided then that I wanted to do something relating to the internet space. And so I was living in, in New York, but I, I moved out to San Francisco because, you know, everything internet was happening there. And of yeah. course, by 2006, mm. you, you, you probably remember this, I think, you know, with the, when the dot-com... When the dot-com bust came, internet advertising dropped off a cliff. Yeah. It had been growing really strongly. Yeah. And it turned out that a lot of the money being spent was venture-funded companies spending money with each other <laughs> as opposed to sort of really sustainable yeah, yeah. advertising budgets. And, yeah. and so if you look at the chart, it dropped off the cliff. But mm. by, by 2005, I think people realized that Actually, it's a pretty big market, and I mm. think that the the real wake up call was when Google went public. Yeah, of course. Because I think everyone knew Google was big, but I don't think people really appreciated how big they were. Yeah. So there was this renewed interest in internet advertising. There was renewed funding. There were new there were new publishers, internet publishers launching all the time. Mm. More people, more people were getting access with higher bandwidth connections, and so so the market was growing and and um. So I, I I moved out to San Francisco and started started thinking about ways in which uh, ways in which AI and machine learning could be applied to internet data and mm. and basically was actually evaluating a number of different areas you know working with a small team essentially an incubator where we were testing out different ideas in a, in a number of areas we were looking at things like fraud detection mm. we were looking at how payment systems could operate on the internet how how you could monitor the performance of internet services, and then one of the areas that that was interesting to us was was advertising, hmm. um, and the the kernel of what was what sort of caught our attention was that most of advertising, so search worked really well, and the advertising was relevant. And so at the time I was working, my co-founder at Quantcast, 
Paul Sutter. I'd met him at AltaVista. He'd started a search company that AltaVista required. Right. He was the VP of engineering at AltaVista. And he left AltaVista and started another uh, another internet company. And that, was, that had been acquired by a tech company, Citrix, I think, in 2006. So we said, well, look, why don't we do something that, that, that sort of combines our background? His expertise was in what we would now call big data. Right. So systems that can, that can capture and process immense amounts of data. Hmm. And mine was in sort of analyzing the data. So let's do something around internet data. Yeah. And you know, advertising sort of just caught our attention because here you have search where every impression was being made relevant mm. for the individual and was just was valuable. And then if we went to a website, any of us went to the website, we'd all see the same ads and most of them were completely irrelevant. Yeah. And we're like, well, how's that going to work? It, it, yeah. You know, irrelevant ads can't be worth as much. Mm. So how's this, how's this going to work? And, and why is it that they're so irrelevant? And, and you know, honestly, I, I didn't know very much about advertising at all. And so to just to, we had to learn about it. Yeah. And the quickest way to learn was to actually interview people from the ad business. So we actually we actually put a help wanted ad on Craigslist, and um, we put a help wanted ad on Craigslist, which was which of course is enormous everywhere now. Yeah, it yeah. started in San Francisco. It was big in San Francisco. Right. Then. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And we and we got lots of responses. We got lots of we got lots of responses. And um, it's a lot of beers. We started into we st it was we did buy a lot of beers. <laughs> we had to buy it. We 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 ended up actually having a lot of the meetings in a bar because our office was so bad right. <laughs> that it wasn't it wasn't really suitable for bringing people to. So we did actually have a lot of these a lot of these sort of research interviews in bars and and we asked people you know the most basic questions because you know it's like how do you how do you decide who the advertising should reach hmm. you know how do you decide where you can find them how do you know if you got them how do you decide how much it's worth and you know gradually through it wasn't this wasn't an overnight thing we did a lot of these interviews and gradually started to understand that the reason none of the ads outside of search were were relevant or even different was because there wasn't really any data yeah. that could help make smarter decisions about which ads to deliver to which people and so we, we dug further into that and we found out that all of the data that was used for advertising was based on panel based research uh, just like it had been for television you know, obviously with television and radio, you have these, yeah, you have yeah, these yeah. panels because if you put something out over the airwaves, you don't know who's tuning in. Hmm. But with the internet, content's delivered individually to a machine. And it was sort of, we wondered, is it possible to sort of directly observe media consumption and then use these machine learning techniques to understand audiences? Yeah. And so we set about, we set about testing that and, and relatively quickly sort of convinced ourselves that at least theoretically it was possible. You know, if, the, if, you, could, if you could have a, a mechanism whereby you could gain enough visibility, you could, you could, you could understand more about, about audiences and then organize that in a way that was accessible to advertisers. And that's what, that's what, became, that's what became Quantcast. It's just phenomenal to think that was only 15, 16 years ago. And yet, you know, you look how much... It's developed the idea of display ads just firing out in the same way that a tele ad would with no context behind them just feels i mean if you were a grad coming into the industry now working digital, you just couldn't get your head around that's the way it sort of used to be it's like you know people used to listen to music on cassettes or lps i mean it would just feel totally alien to them uh which which sort of makes you think how incredible it is now yeah.
Yeah, and I think the internet would be very different. Mm. I think the internet would be very different without it. And, you know, by no means are we there. I think most yeah. advertising is still not relevant. There's, a, yeah. there's still an enormous opportunity to improve it. And I think it's actually critical. I think the, the, you know, what we think of as the internet, this the free and open internet, mm. is at something of a crossroads right now. Oh, you for know, sure. The, mm. the internet, you know, if you think about the, the amount of content that is produced now, so anyone anyone with sort of a an internet connection and access to a computer mm. can share their content their creativity their point of view their observations with the world it's really sort of democratized yeah. content distribution and that's that's a phenomenal asset for the world and today you know 5 billion people around the world rely on yeah. the open internet yeah. for all of those things. And I think one of the things that perhaps is uh, almost certainly is not well enough appreciated is that it is advertising that funds the production of the content. You know, 100%. early on, I think early on, I think we had this, you know, what I could refer to as the original sin, which was, <laughs> you know, we sort of allowed everyone to believe that the internet was free. Yeah, 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 yeah. And whilst yeah. it's free to access, it's not free to create content. Good yes. content is a, you know, a labor of a labor of love, and yeah. people put a lot of effort into it, and and need to be remunerated for yeah, yeah. for doing so. And it's advertising that's funded that, and it's actually advertising technology that underpins making access to ad, ad budgets accessible yeah. for any publisher. Yeah. But even with that, we've seen this gradual concentration of spend into the walled gardens, and we see moves afoot to encourage more spend going to the walled gardens. So today. Depending on where you are, you know, depending on which stats you believe, upwards of eighty percent of every incremental, every incremental dollar that goes mm. into the global ad market, is going into a tiny handful of companies. And those companies, they've built you know good services that we all use, but they're not. They don't represent eighty percent of all the original content production. They don't represent where yeah. we're spending all of our time. Mm. But they're capturing all of that money. And you know, just play that out. That doesn't end well for for the open internet. Mm. And um, I think it's really important that whilst you know the internet sort of democratized content distribution, we've got to democratize access to effective advertising for every for every publisher. It yeah. shouldn't just be available for these technology for these technology giants. And if we can so so at Quantcast we're really focused on how can you how can you bring the same benefits of of sort of internet scale data and machine learning, and frankly, ease of use for advertisers yeah, yeah. to make the open internet as accessible and as and as performant as the walled gardens for ad budgets so that the open internet can capture its fair share. And you said it brilliantly, actually, in the start, in your, your sort of intro to Virtual Nova, you said uh, what big tech has done a brilliant job of, I'm slightly paraphrasing, is freeing up time for marketers to get better at marketing rather than dealing with the vagaries of marketing technology. And I just think that's brilliant. No one probably got into marketing and is a CMO or a director of marketing to try and get into the weeds of, of, of programmatic ecosystems. They just want to do great marketing and change opinions, sell more stuff, uh, which is quite profound. And I think they have done a really good job of that. It's become accessible to the Unilevers, the PNGs and the Cokes as much as it is the you know SME who wants to spend £10 on a, on a credit card. So, yeah, perhaps in a way that's been a, a huge advantage for some of those businesses if you were going to create um quantcast tomorrow would it be the same company that you think you created back in 2006 
Uh, undoubtedly, it would be different. Mm. Obviously, you look at where the market is and where the market need is. You know, I, I would say that the at the sort of the most fundamental level, the core problem we solve, which was how can you systematically understand audiences from media consumption data? I don't think anyone else in the world has ever been able to solve that as well as Quantcast has. Mm. And so if Quantcast wasn't here today, that problem would still exist. Yeah. You know, that's a really sort of hard problem and it required us to build this internet scale probabilistic model. And I think today it's still the largest sort of probabilistic model of internet activity. So I think that need would actually would actually still exist. Mm. I think that need is only going to increase, right? We talk about, you know, we talk about the changes afoot in the ecosystem. We're going to be we're going to be more dependent, not less, on probabilistic models yeah. in the future. Yeah. So that need that need would still be there. I mean, there's always hindsight's a wonderful thing, right? There's always <laughs> lessons you learn along along the way. But I think there would probably be there'd probably be differences. Where are you? Um, where are you most comfortable? Are you most comfortable around a table with a bunch of ad and agency execs, or, or do you re- you really relish going down and, and working with the engineers and the you know the Peter Days of this world who and you can you know really get into the weeds of the detail maybe takes you back to to, to where it first started because we're a funny old bunch advertising people yeah I think the, um, it's been able to sit at the intersection of those mm. it's been able to translate a little a little between them um, it's really important you know you cannot create sort of products in a vacuum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to be speaking with customers and understanding their understanding their their problems. It's really important to to get behind the problems. So you also ask the question why. Yeah, yeah. And keep asking the question yeah. why. So sort of un- understand fundamentally, you know, what people are trying to achieve. You know, people will have ideas about the solutions they want, but if you can if you can really get down to the fundamentals of what what the what they're trying to achieve, hmm. there may be different approaches. There may be there may be simpler approaches, and so you know I certainly I certainly enjoy that, and um, you know I think having that balance yeah. across the different disciplines is uh, is is rewarding. You know, I, I, and I say I've always I've always been interested in the in the technology, and I'm okay I'm okay at that. I'm a little rusty <laughs> at coding these days, but I'm 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 okay at that. But I'm not. You know, fun, at the most fundamental level, these AI techniques are mathematics. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not a brilliant mathematician, mm. so I need help on those sorts of things. But I think I'm good at at translating yeah, yeah. between between what business needs are and what technology is capable of, and trying to find trying to find that that balance in terms mm. of getting solutions that are that are effective without being overly complex so so much of it your your spot so much of it is that translation thing you you just have to take people with you on this because um certainly what 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 i've found at the ib is and, and whether it's a, a seniority thing or perhaps you've not um perhaps you're not sort of inherently dig, digital native um it, these things are easy to get lost in. I mean, if you're a if you're a marketer, you know, one, you've got to sell more stuff or get more people to use your products. So then you've got to learn about all of this this other stuff. And I think if the translation bit is missing, it, it just feels like something over here that I can't get my head around, or I'll get the agency to deal with it. Or so I just think that the ability to translate some stuff, and as you say, kind of goes both ways. Uh, you just sound like this sort of super sleuth problem solver. You know, I I do think that part of our 
job is to make it simpler. I mm. do believe, I mean, yeah, you yeah. mentioned earlier, I do believe that that we should be allowing marketers to focus more on marketing than than martech. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, the 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 goal of the goal of uh, of technology should be to make simple things simple and complex <laughs> things possible. That's a yeah, quote yeah. from from Alan Kay. Yeah. And that's that's what technology should be doing. And sometimes we sort of, you know, technology is used to to complicate things. That's not what it's about. It should yeah. be about simplifying things. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to leave you with uh, with two questions. One, uh, you know, what would you what advice would you give yourself? Uh, what advice would you give that person who put the the Craigslist ad out? You know, with the benefit of hindsight, what would you tell yourself? And the, and the second one is, um, you've got kids at home as well. Two two young kids. Uh, sort of, you know, sum up the last twelve months for me as well. But w- what about the first one? What advice would you give the younger Conrad Feldman, who is there? He's in San Francisco. He's getting excited. Meetings with Alta Vista, about to embark on this big thing. I would have, I would have got. I, I think I, I would have probably, as I said, to the measurement piece. I would have yeah. got sooner. You know, we we focused a lot initially on measuring audiences. Hmm. I think I would have focused even sooner on measuring outcomes, right? on connecting the activity to outcomes. I think that that's a piece that it took me longer than it should have done to recognize how broken that piece of it was. That it was one thing to have an audience, but the, the process by which an advertiser associated their advertising exposure to their success, yeah. you know, was and still is in many large parts really crude. Yeah, yeah. You know, the way totally. in which people yeah. are, are doing attribution and the way in which they are assigning success, our yeah, industry yeah, yeah. still, still today, um, tends to tends to value what it can measure, yeah. rather than measuring what is valuable. Yeah. <laughs> what was the light bulb? When, when did the penny drop on that? In terms of actually, this is something we probably need to give a lot more focus. I, you know, I think it was actually when we started. So we we spent, you know, we realised that that to be able to support any publisher and any brand really meant being in a position to consider a data set of similar scale mm. to the walled gardens. And, you know, that's the, that's one of the advantages that the walled gardens have is they've got this, this enormous amount of data that they collect directly. So they know what it is. And the data set doesn't, it's not just that the data set spans everyone. It's also that there's an immense diversity of behaviors exhibited within it. Whereas if you look at any individual publisher or marketer, even a large one, mm. Their data set in terms of in terms of sort of the number of people it spans, the audience size, but also the diversity of behaviors that are exhibited is tiny yeah, yeah. compared to the World Gardens. Yeah. And so, you know, our approach was if if publishers work together, if they cooperate, the way Quantcast Measure works is a cooperative environment. It's a secure cloud platform. So publishers are sharing their data into this model, but in a way that no other publisher can access their data, no visitors to their sites are ever revealed to anyone else, but the data can be pulled such that collectively they have the scale and diversity of of the walled gardens. That was our focus. And we realized that would only work with that sort of scale. So we focused for the first, you know, over two years, two and a half years on building scale participation and adoption in Quantcast Measure. And then we started using the data to help people drive outcomes. Our view was we can provide we can provide information, aggregate information. Our business should be aligned with creating outcomes for our customers, publishers, brands, yeah, and yeah. agencies. Yeah. And it was when we it was when we got into that, you know, so that was in sort of two thousand and nine yeah. that we started to realize how 
how broken actual ad measurement was and we could have probably done some work on that on that sooner <laughs> and then um j- just finally you've talked about your one day of bliss uh back, back back in the office but how how has the last year been have you been doing much homeschooling for example uh yeah we've had we've had a lot of homeschool um which has been look, i think it's it's been challenging mm. i think for for everyone but I, I also think that you know was we are all now doing our you know, our Zoom calls with each other and with colleagues all the time. I think it's also a good reminder that to have empathy for everyone, because of course, everyone's dealing, everyone's dealing with the pandemic together. But outside of pandemic, people are always dealing with issues, you know, whether that's they've got uh, their home because their children are sick, or they're looking after a loved one. And I think there's the, the fact that we are seeing our, you know, we're seeing our, our colleagues, and their kids are interrupting and yeah. their kids, you know, they know, they know, they know all of your colleagues by name <laughs> and say, and say hi to them. That's a, that's a real, that's a real positive. It's yeah, a real, yeah. it's a real reminder that, you know, we're, we're not just people at work. Mm. We're, we're all, we're all people with our own lives and our own trials and tribulations. And I think that's a, that's a good reminder. And I hope we can, I hope we can keep that uh, as we are, as we sort of get back to whatever our new normal of working looks like. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. Uh, Conrad that was brilliant thank you so much for giving us some time in what is slightly earlier for you than it is for me Uh, I really appreciate it thank you so much my pleasure great to speak with you the IAB UK podcast Conrad Feldman co-founder and CEO of Quantcast there these founders interviews are so enlightening because I think and especially for a business like Quantcast that I've known for a long time you get beyond the pitch and the carefully curated sizzle reels and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And what you get is this very open and honest take on why a business like Quantcast exists. And in Conrad's case, it's this ironclad belief that a free internet funded by advertising is at a crossroads. And he fundamentally believes it needs protecting. And I really liked how he defined his role now as CEO versus, uh, you know, when he was a co-founder at the very start and as he puts it he's good at translating what business needs are and what technology is capable of and of course then you go and surround yourself with brilliant people to get uh, the other stuff done as well there's going to be lots more from the founder series as well as the meat and two veg episodes where we'll continue to interrogate new digital behaviors and trends born out of lockdown and what on earth Uh, might happen next and if you like this episode and you want to listen to more of the same you can find all of the episodes on our site at iabuk.com on spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from thanks so much for listening iab uk building sustainable future for digital advertising